It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Arsenal did not lose that game because of the referee and the linesman. Arsenal lost that game because they went to Manchester City at the Etihad Stadium with Francis Coquelin in the middle of your back three. (laughs) And no striker. Everybody, this is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm Double H, aka Half Hope. And I am Carl Anker. This is Talking Tactics, episode 74, I think. Can I make a, a quick um, announcement, just very quick? Because both of you guys use your government's name, and I use a really cool hip alias. So I just wanted to say I feel a bit left out. So. Nobody's stopping you from using your government name. No, 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 no. I never will because like I'm, I'm too cool and hip, so I, 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 I can't do it. I'm listening. I still feel left out. Should yeah. we reveal his government name? Because I no. was shocked. I was shocked when I went on Arise TV and someone said, "And now it's Karl Anka and bleep bleep." I went, "What? His name is bleep?" <laughs> shocked. Shocked. I tell you. Let, let, let's have half of his shine, man. Jeez. Yeah. All right. So uh, what was I saying? This is episode 74. Thank you guys for listening. Everyone who listens, wherever you're listening to this, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, whatever podcast app. Fun. Yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode. Uh, like, subscribe, share, retweet. Nike, Adidas, we're ready to sell out. Just give us the right price and we're happy to sell out. Are we? Uh, yeah. I need money if I want to keep listening to Half Hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was thinking, which game are we going to start with this week? Because there were two big ones. Well, one big one and then one kind of big one. Is a, is a game with Arsenal the big game anymore? No. And, 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 and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but you know what I mean, right? I don't know. No, I don't care. It's just the big game because Arsenal are a mid-table team now. So Traditionally... Man City, well, not not even traditionally, because I guess Man City just got great within the past, like, seven years or so. But, yeah, do Arsenal have big games? It was first v sixth in City versus Arsenal <laughs> versus second versus fourth. Fourth? Yeah. If you average that out, second v fourth is the bigger game. So let's talk Chelsea versus Manchester United. We'll start with the loser. 
And can't go easy. Can't go easy. And just be very careful with the words that that you choose. Carry on. Why do you like him so much? He's 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 my idol. He's my hero. So I have to I have to defend him. So he's the most important figure in football. No no nobody has more popularity or is a lot more edgy or is more interesting than him. He's the most interesting personality in the whole of football right now. So. Um. So our listeners wondering who the he he is referring to, the he half hope is referring to is Jose Mourinho. He's Portuguese, Jose. Well, one thing's for sure, um, it wasn't boring, which it, it feels odd to say that in surprise, that it wasn't boring. Mr. Mourinho didn't park the bus, as it were. He went with the back three. I wouldn't say he set out to spoil Chelsea, but I'd say he definitely looked to counterattack. We, we, being Manchester United, looked to use active press, but what the press did... There, obviously, you had a broken press because some players in that Manchester United unit aren't necessarily well-suited to pressing. Um, with Rashford and Lukaku up top together, he looked to exploit pace, but it didn't quite work. Large because Fabregas found himself in loads of half-pockets of space and was just threading through balls. Uh, Herrera had one of those games where his e- eagerness to get interceptions and press left massive holes in the middle of the park. Mourinho said... It was one of those games where it was very obvious the team that scored first was going to win, which is true. The goal that went in first, you know, once Chelsea scored a fantastic goal, by the way, a beautiful cross from Aspilicueta uh, and a fantastic header from Morata. I think the great thing about that header is that the ball curves as he does it. It was a real wonderful bit of class. Goal um, could have been avoided, though. It could, have, it could have been easily avoided. It could. It could have. It could have. What, what happened was uh, Herrera went AWOL trying to chase after the ball. Uh, and left a massive space in the middle. Matic went to cover it. Uh, in covering that space, that left even further space in behind. So uh, Smalling goes to try and close down Aspilicueta, and Jones tries to cover that space, and it just leaves this huge gap in the middle. And therefore, Morata is completely unmarked in on the edge of the penalty area. And we know Morata can head the ball pretty well. So, uh, and like I said, it, it didn't really look like as if Manchester United would, would score after that moment. Something that really disappointed me was how inevitable it seemed that we would lose that game after that goal went in. I think there was something like 30% possession that Manchester United had after the goal, which is surprising for a team such as Chelsea because Chelsea are a team set up to counter-attack. Chelsea don't mind you having the ball. So if you're unable to get the ball off a Chelsea side, that you know, they're pretty much like, yeah, you can have the ball because we're hitting the break. That was disappointing. Uh, I think the tactical fouling on Hazard was interesting. So during the FA Cup game where Kante scored the winner, we tactically fouled Eden Hazard by alternating the person who was fouling Hazard. Whereas at the 2-0 victory at uh, Old Trafford, it was very clearly Herrera's job to foul Hazard. At this one again at Stamford Bridge, it looked as if the plan was to share the yellow card, which didn't (laughs) quite work. I think in the opening four minutes of the second half, Hazard got fouled five times was an indication of where our interests were rather than trying to score goals. Lukaku hasn't scored since before the Benfica game now. So Lukaku hasn't scored in a while and the, he just looks very isolated right now, being asked to be a target man as balls are being played into his chest or his shins. And it didn't quite work. And uh, we miss Pogba. Mkhitaryan's in the worst form of his career and he's been abject for two months now because Mkhitaryan isn't coping with the extra creative pressure from Paul Pogba. And that's pretty much what's going on at Man United. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, you know, I mean, a shameless plug. I do, I'm, I do this series called Anatomy of a Goal, where I pretty much analyze different goals using 
arrows, all that kind of stuff, all that sexy stuff. So I, I focused on the Morata goal. And the key thing about that Morata goal was it's it's even what you even learn when, when you're playing football in, 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 in school. If you're a top def- defender, any professional defender, your mind has to ha- be at an equilibrium. You watch what the guy on the ball is doing. You watch the people without the, the ball. In that situation, the most dangerous person is Morata. Because, again, Aspilicueta, because remember, this is moving very quickly and very fast. And the key thing why Aspilicueta was able to make that cross was that he crossed early. The earlier you cross, the harder it is for the opposing defenders to really set themselves up and really get their positioning right. But even beyond that, you have to know as top defenders that, I mean, what is the biggest threat? The biggest threat, obviously, is Hazard. Where is he going? But also Morata. Because you know that anything puts into the air to Morata is a danger. The space that Morata was given was was scandalous. <laughs> because literally, Morata had the time to time his run, set himself, put the right amount of weight on the, on the header, and it was just so so much of an easy goal for him to score. And I just think for United, to be so bad defensively and to give both Aspilicueta and Morata so much space was just madness because it could have so easily been avoided. So again, it's a case of where everybody is glued to the man with the ball and not actually aware of their surroundings and who they have to mark or who they have to get close to. Do you know what makes that go worse, though, is in the three days, maybe, that, that Mourinho had to prepare the game, there's no way that he didn't bring up Morata in between the two center backs with, with, with a ball from Aspilicueta. It's happened, it happened four times previously. Yep. So this was the fifth time Aspilicueta's put in a cross and Morata scored a header. Maybe not always a header, but I'm feeling like always a header. So, so there's no way that that situation or scenario didn't come up either at halftime or in the week's preparation, which makes it a little bit more egregious. I think a, a, a component that we're missing, though, is Kante being back. Huge. Give him his respect. Because Kante being back allowed Fabregas to play forward and find those pockets of space, as, as Carl alluded to. What it also did is made Bakayoko far more box-to-box, far more advanced, and gave him a bit more relief in knowing that I don't have to chase around for Fabregas finding pockets of space. And one key component in that goal was Bakayoko's run that attracted Phil Jones to come out, which then made Smalling out of position, which then made the cross to Morata a bit easier. Quick Everything good that happened in that game was because of the addition of N'Golo Kante. And he's incredibly important, which is probably the understatement of this podcast to everything that Chelsea does. Just quickly responding to what you just said is like, again, going back to the whole Bakayoko thing, it's like, obviously, Aspilicueta has two options. The, 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 the ball diagonal over into the box towards Morata or the through ball to Bakayoko. But as a defender, obviously, you want to be aware of what Bakayoko is doing, but you must already know from how the game has gone that Bakayoko is not that much of an offensive threat. You should you shouldn't even really feel that much drawn out to really worry too much about what Bakayoko is doing. Even if you give him the through ball, your focus should really be on like Morata and Hazard on the other side of the pitch because they are far more dangerous attacking threats than what Bakayoko is. Because Bakayoko cannot harm you that much getting the ball out on on the wing. A wide, a wide. I think a bigger thing to notice is uh, the dropping of David Luiz. I mean, this is in the wake of a pretty comprehensive three-nil defeat to Roma, with Gary Cahill play on the right side of defence, and Conte said he's never going to play Cahill uh, on the right side of the three-man defence again. Cahill moves over to the left. Uh, I think the comments Conte said before the game were: David Luiz has to understand that he has to up his game 
because Christensen is the is the present and the future of Chelsea Football Club. So there were some pretty strong words there. I don't know what happened between Luis and Conte, but can I offer a theory? Go right ahead. Ever since, if you guys remember the Manchester City game from last season where Sergio Aguero kind of took him out and then Nathaniel Chalaba came and pushed over Aguero and it was a whole thing. David Luiz's knee has been strapped since that time. I don't think there's been a game I've seen him where his knee hasn't been 100% or where his knee has been 100% rather. I, I remember watching the Rome game. And it, w- it was after all three defenders ran with Dzeko, <laughs> that kind of, <laughs> that kind of em- embarrassing display of defense. And then there was like maybe a minute or two later, and there was a close-up on Louise. And I could see him wincing. You can see him kind of limping. And I think there's something with that knee that he can play, but maybe in his mind he doesn't feel like he should be playing. So I mm-hmm. think my theory is Conte wants to play Louise. Louise is like, no, I can't play. And Conte sees that as some sort of, I don't know, just like you're, you're not willing to put yourself out there for the team. And I think that might be the conflict that's going on, that Luis is kind of understanding that my knee, I can't play with it. But Conte's like, you can play with it if you wanted to. Then I think that might be what's going on. I'm not sure. Or, you know, uh, Luis is, he, he seems like a nice guy, though. I don't think he'd say anything disrespectful in that way, but I'm just sure it's something it's, about his, his, his availability. I think David Luiz, David Luiz's passing from the back three offers so much to Chelsea's attacking game. It, it's a great out ball. Similar to Tottenham Hotspur with Alderweireld's diagonal long balls. It's just a really good, oh, we can't quite pass the ball through midfield quite fast enough to get an attack. You can just have Luiz punt it long. And because Luiz's range of passing is, is up there with the majority of midfielders in the Premier League, actually. It allows you that option. So to not have that, yes, you know, Aspilicueta can whip in those crosses that you can see, but Christensen doesn't seem to be that player. So that does add, it puts extra importance on Fabregas creating those things. Actually, Christensen has a good range of passing, but but, but if I could add one last thing. Louise isn't really the kind of Chelsea player you want to war with if you're a manager because... He has the dressing room, isn't it? Because, exactly, he's the glue. He's... The guy that he speaks French, he speaks Portuguese, he speaks Spanish, he speaks a bit of Italian. He's the, I don't want to call him the captain, but I'm, he's the de facto captain for me. Yeah, he's, he's a very much like player. So if you war with him and you get on his bad side, that could spread a little bit of cancer to other players. You never know, the Williams of the world. You know what, there, there was a story, and this, this is on the internet if you want to go find it, um, but w- w- Williams' mom, um, who passed away last year or maybe earlier on this year, she knitted hats, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the, most every time I see Luis, he has on one of those hats, like um, because Aww. he would get knit, he, he would get knitted hats from Willian's mom. So I I think those are his hats or the hats he got from his mom. So that's just an interesting thing that like they're really close, and and it, it wouldn't surprise me if like players like Kennedy, who aren't playing in the squad. So it, it's an interesting player for Conte to take a stand with in that way. Luis strikes me. Saying. As the person who inherited Drogba's title as the big name in the dressing room, have you seen that Vine where it's yeah. <laughs> move where with the all the African, all the black players are dancing and Luis is in there too? That um, that was the passing of the torch moment, in my opinion. It will be interesting to see Chelsea going forward. You know, for all the talk of Chelsea being in crisis, they're only three points three points off. I think they're only three points off Manchester United now. 
uh, and Conte raised the point, anytime I lose as Chelsea manager, people were talking about crisis and people were talking about me losing my job, where if you look at the league table, we're fine. And, and they always bounce back. The Premier League title always is over, so that's where I if I think if they make if Chelsea if Chelsea make one or two smart investments in the January transfer window, they're going to be they're, they're going to be a force in Europe, and they're going to be there or thereabouts in the Premier League, which is no, all you can really ask for. The Premier League race is over; it's over; it's finished. Which is, that's okay. fine. That's fine. Hope something. Uh, I think Conte said the no. He goes. There's a problem with the Premier League. There are five very good teams all playing football. The problem is Manchester City. It's looking like a transcendent Manchester City side. I think they've just set the record for the most point gained after 11 goals. Most points gained after 11 games. That's an awkward thing to say. I think if you look at, they've played 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th and ninth in the league. The aggregate score from those games is 20 goals scored for Manchester City and 1 conceded. 20 goals scored for Manchester City and one goal conceded playing the team's fourth to ninth in the Premier League right now. This is an unprecedented run. In November, Manchester City have to play Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur. I think if they get four points, then we could possibly be saying that a champions elect before Christmas. Nobody's going to catch them. So I don't know why you guys are saying all... Well, you say, you say nobody. You say nobody. Injuries exist. Uh, falling outs exist. There's still a January transfer window. You never know what manager gets... Uh, parachuted in you never know what might happen in in players personal life you know it's all well and good saying it's all you know it's done but Pep has family Man City players have family Man United players have family things can change I hope Something... Paul's theory is right well I hope Uncle Paul's theory is right in that what if they get uh, Sanchez in January and then that ruins everything it could it could um, so young Nig <laughs> at oh, peak, I'm not having at, that name instead of my podcast. Change the name, change your name. <coughs> at P Guze asks, how is Mourinho going to win the league with the idiotic park the bus tactic? Have you guys seen Mourinho's away record at yeah. like the big clubs? I'd like to read it out right now. Oh uh, wow, cool. Jose Mourinho's <laughs> Jose Mourinho's away record in games against the top six. So, right, in his last seven games away from home, he drew 0-0 with Arsenal. He lost 3-0 to City. He drew 0-0 with Spurs. He drew 0-0 with Liverpool. This is when he begins his Manchester United tenure. He loses 4-0 to Chelsea. He draws 0-0 with Manchester City. He loses 2-0 to Arsenal. Slight asterisk there, as this is when he begins to tank. Uh, he loses 2-0 to Tottenham Hotspur. Again, he's tanking the league at the time. Uh, now this is the start of this season. 0-0 draw with Liverpool and a 1-0 loss to Chelsea. If you look at it, Manchester United are now eight points, nine points behind Manchester City. They are eight points ahead of Huddersfield. So they're struggling to score goals. The team desperately misses Paul Pogba. Romelu Lukaku looks isolated. And outside of the, the glimmers of attacking brilliance you get from Anthony Martial or the direct running from Marcus Rashford, you're beginning to worry what the plan is. Lukaku didn't have a touch in the box against Chelsea. No, he did from... not. Does Mata still exist or does has he left? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm being serious. Does he still exist? Juan Mata still exists. So, uh, as I mentioned before on this podcast and on many podcasts, it, it's become very apparent that Mr. Mourinho doesn't want to start Rashford and Martial in the wide positions in games. He prefers to have uh, a nine or a ten, well, the ten type player in Mkhitaryan or Juan Mata playing on the right 
to offer some sort of stability or control. The problem you have right now is with Pogba injured, there is zero creativity being, there's, well, not zero creativity. There's very little creativity being offered by that middle three. So Matic's job is to be a screen. Herrera's job is to be a bit of a spoiler. And then, you know, every now and again, Herrera will give you one or two good passes, but he's not going to offer you anywhere near the range of passing or creativity of Paul Pogba does. Uh, that was okay. You know, Pogba and Mkhitaryan in unison was fantastic because Mkhitaryan was creating three to five chances per game. But Mkhitaryan's tailed off massively. One part looks of it, he just looks really, really tired. The other part just looks like he just doesn't fancy it anymore. Uh, things are looking kind of all right at the back. Obviously, I like Luke Shaw, but beggars can't be choosers. Eric Bailly has picked up where he left off and he looks superb. Phil Jones seems fit. And apart from that weird own goal, volley that he was going to score against Chelsea. Um, Great finish, by the way. It was a fantastic finish. Phil Jones is always the big if. If Phil Jones can stay fit, he's always going to, he's going to be a good 7 out of 10 centre-back, uh, which is great. I'm, be- I'm beginning to seriously worry about Lindelof. Yeah, he really, <laughs> really looks like he might be a dud. If United are playing through at the back and Lindelof's not even making the bench. But uh, you know, the, the, the thing that worried me about this United game was you were playing through at the back, which in theory you're supposed to offer some sort of attacking threat in wide areas. And the wide players from Manchester United were Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia, who are both former wingers turned fullbacks. Uh, and both of those players, while they are, you know, diligent and will carry out Jose Mourinho's, I called him Jose again, I'm really sorry, will carry out Mourinho's instructions to the T. Neither one of those players are going to beat your man off the dribble. Their, their ability to beat their opposite man was very much reliant on their directness and their pace rather than, oh, I, I, can, I can nutmeg you or I can, show you out, I can show you inside and take you on the outside. Both those players are relatively one-dimensional when it comes to beating your opposite man. So when you've got those two players from wide areas offering you crosses and then in the middle, you've got no one really offering penetrating passes and then you've got Mkhitaryan who can't dribble and he can't pass right now. Damn! <laughs> like then he basically he basically can't play football. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm, I'm, football pass is like, what can he do? Friend of the pod- podcast, uh, Paul United Rankcast has spoken on his podcast and writing about how he's never seen a player look as bad as he's. You rarely see a player look as bad as Mkhitaryan right now. Mkhitaryan is playing as if he's had a massive knee injury, but he hasn't. I don't know if it's a loss of confidence or if he's just exhausted or if he's, he's, he's like a long form of choking. But in the last two months, he's been abject and he does need to get dropped. He, not, he needs to get dropped. They need to play Juan Mata and have Lingard as a plan B. From what we have understood about Mkhitaryan from interviews with not only him, but Thomas Tuchel and Jurgen Klopp, Mkhitaryan is like... He's such a nice boy. He's a real needs an arm around the shoulder, needs a, someone to tell him he's doing all right. And he seems to have just plummeted. Uh, it's very worrying. That said, it's got international break. I don't think Mkhitaryan will be playing for Armenia this, these, in the next fortnight. Um, and hopefully he can draw a line under it. Under it. But it, it very much seems that the Premier League is going to be cities. All right. So, no, we, we have another question here. Um, I can link these together. If United got Pep, this is from at Pack Mouse. If United got Pep and City got Mourinho back in 2016, 
Would both clubs be in the same position right now in terms of progress and success? Absolutely not. Well, I suppose if if that happens, Pep isn't winning. The, I don't think Pep is going to do that weird thing where he tanks the league to win the Europa League. So there, there could be the argument that Manchester United end up with less silverware than they did last season. But you'd also have the argument that they'd certainly have a more coherent plan would be further along in their development. Uh, I'd imagine certain players like Memphis, Luke Shaw and Marcus Rashford would be further in their development by now. I think Martial would be further in his development right now. And I think, are we assuming these play, are we assuming these managers are, are using the exact same signings and the exact same personnel as well? Because no, and no, no, that that could have with like Guardiola signing Ibra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think that's <laughs> that's not happening. But but look, I mean, he would have Guardiola would have at least how much money did they spend last summer? So he could really? go out and yeah, the, like United, there was ninety billion on Pogba just for one. So he would have at least that much money. Like, I wouldn't think I I I don't think he would possibly buy Pogba. I don't no, think no, he no, would no, either. He I think Pogba would be a Chelsea player if that happened. Uh, I or, definitely think or Real Madrid. I, I think there's a compelling argument to say if Pep had gone to Manchester United rather than City, Manchester United wouldn't be playing in the, in the Champions League this year because oh, hang on, they would be playing in the Champions League via other means, so they probably would have finished fourth rather than have gotten there via the Europa League. I don't think Mourinho would have taken City to the heights we're seeing right now. I think for better or worse, football might have slightly passed Mourinho down. By and he is possibly entering, uh, I don't want to say downward spiral, but I think Mr. Mourinho will not enjoy <laughs> the previous successes he had. Uh, so, you know, Man United still have a fantastic home record. I think they're unbeaten in 37 home games at Old Trafford. So that's fantastic. That's great. You know, it, after the debauchery the that was the Moyes season and the Van Hal one, it's nice that United are winning games at home again and drawing and are stubborn to beat. But I think the mo- I think the most coherent title challenge now is up to Tottenham Hotspur, which is it's weird to say that. It's odd, it's odd to say that for all the money and for all the changes that all these clubs spend, once again, Tottenham Hotspur are probably going to be the second best team in the league. How about, do you have any rebuttal before we move on or a response, I should say? Oh, no, 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 no just very, no, again, all, all you guys said was brilliant. Just that Tottenham have no chance of winning the titles. They're not even in the conversation. And for me, for City, they're not going to lose more than three games this season. No team will be able to cut down that lead. They will they will win this by April or March. Uh, on the City-Arsenal game, we have two questions here that are related in a way, I think. Well, they're definitely related. Uh, Boris Mason asks, should replays be forced to be played due to bad refereeing decisions? Arsenal would have equalized it. Had it stayed 2-1 without the offside <laughs> oh, goal. And whoa, hold on, guys. Hold on. There's two questions. And Pitchard City asks, should Wenger be forced to apologize for accusing Sterling of being a diver? And does the agenda against Raheem go deeper than we thought? So uh, there were two instances in that game where Arsenal felt that they were hard done by. The first being the penalty um, that Monreal gave against Sterling, where it looked like Sterling went down a bit easy. I don't think you can blame either player there. It's just up to the referee to make a decision. And then a clear offside, at least in my eyes. When I saw it, I was like, you're not going to call. And then Jesus scores his you know, his natural finish from, I think, as a silver assist. And that was offside. So if, if there was replay, as Mason asked, perhaps both of those decisions go in Arsenal's favor. 
No, um, that's ridiculous. Look, this is football. You shouldn't get a replay just because. He doesn't won. mean a replay as in like, yo, on next next Tuesday, we're going to play the game again. He means video replay. There's no – well, from what we saw about VAR in the Confederations Cup, uh, I'm slightly reluctant to have that. It's dodgy. It's nowhere – it's not as foolproof as people think it is. He hasn't been perfected yet. I think anyone that wants to comment about offside decisions or penalty – offside decisions especially should check out the new game on The Times. So The Times have – a series of, uh, I think it's a quiz of 10. And it's, it's simply played at slow motion. And all you have to do is decide, is this offside or not? And it shows you how hard the job is. And you've got to bear in mind, these assistant referees are doing this at pace. Aren't you making the argument for video replay if you're saying the decision no, no, is so no, no, hard? No, 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 if you let me finish. Yes, your gentleman <laughs> was offside for the third goal. However, that does not in any way excuse... Monreal and Bellerin from just standing there with their hands up, wondering what's going on. Like, what's it the first? Does. No, it doesn't. No, 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 no. Now, top defender. What top defenders do? As their hand is raised, they are also watching the man because they know that. Look, I want to make sure that the assistant referee knows that this guy's offset. But as I'm doing this, there's always a chance that the referee won't sit. So as I'm raising my hand to say it's offside, I'm also watching my man. These Arsenal defenders raise their hands and stood still, still. You can't do that because, first of all, Silva wasn't way offside. It was marginal. So mm-hmm. once it's marginal, if your hand is raised, also do your defensive work as well. Don't raise your hand and just stand still. That is unprofessional. It did um, look marginal to me. It was it like it was clearly offside. No, no, it's not. it was marginal. You can't say that was anything other than marginal. And to claim the goal shouldn't have stood. Be- like, if the moment through your three of your players are static instead of playing to the whistle, that's abhorrent. And if you want to talk about the penalty, one, it definitely was a penalty. And two, even if you believe it wasn't, even if you believe it wasn't a penalty, Sterling should have had a penalty in the opening minutes after Kalasnik pushes Sterling in the back for that cutback ball. Like this all balances out. Arsenal did not lose that game because of the referee and the linesman. No. Arsenal lost that game because they went to Manchester City at the Etihad Stadium with Francis Coquelin in the middle of your back three. And no striker. And played with no striker. <laughs> no, yeah. but, no, but the very fact that you went to the you Etihad... never tell me Arsenal deserved with... to win that game. <laughs> Look, they went there with no striker. How, how do you go to the Etihad with no striker? Yeah. 53 million. 53 million, your record signing. And striker. And out and out number nine, you leave him on the bench. And this striker, that sc- <laughs> this striker that scores within nine minutes of his introduction. When the lineup came out, I was like, it will be instead of um, Lacazette. And Carl was like, Coquelin. <laughs> I thought Coquelin was playing in the midfield. Everybody did. And it was only in the second half when I realized he was playing as your third man as a centre-back. Now, Wenger said he had to play Coquelin there because... This formation that needs a back three requires three centre-backs and Mustafi's injured. Well, then simply don't play a black three. Like If that's if that's the problem, don't play a black back three. Move Monreal to left-back, which is... I said a black three there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting. I wanted you to move. I didn't know you were going to go back to it. <laughs> don't play a back three. Move Monreal to left-back. Move Bellerin to right-back. Have them play in the natural positions. Have... Koscielny play as your centre-back. And then, why did you sell Gabriel when you needed him, when you need another centre-back? Also, 
he's been playing El Nini at center back in Europa League games and in preseason. Mm-hmm. So why not play him there instead of Conkerland? It's very it's strange. Just, uh, there, there's so much you. Basically, for Wenger's foolishness, they deserve to lose the, the game. Don't give me that crap about that, about the, the referee. Any Arsenal fan that uses the referee as an, as an excuse, you're a, you're a very sad person. Very sad. Half hope, half hope is correct. And for everything that was bad about Arsenal and was nonsensical about Arsenal, I think we should talk about how good City were. Have uh, we done that enough? Like, I'm getting bored with them winning all this time. City, like, who's the game? Something I found interesting was how City... So the goal they went for the third one is very clearly uh, like a preordained, preordained like a rehearsed move they have where Silva De Bruyne drops deep, plays it out wide to your overlapping fullback. The overlapping fullback gives you the low cross uh, that is taken by Aguero or Jesus. He almost went one time in for Sterling and when Kalashnikov Kalashnik had a great game for Arsenal. I think he, he's, he hasn't quite caught the Arsenal sadness. But it'll be interesting to see. I think a really good comparison of the two play of where Manchester City are and where Arsenal are right now is how Kevin De Bruyne uses the ball and and shoots with his weaker foot and seems to be able to do everything compared to Aaron Ramsey's near headless chicking like running and passing and the fact that Ramsey Ramsey loses possession so often trying to make all these flicks and tricks pull off. Whereas if you saw before the game, Kevin De Bruyne said that Pep Guardiola has banned back heels amongst yeah. the Manchester City players because he says Pep urges all the players just to do the simple things. Pep, all he wants you to do is do simple short passes in triangles, overload one side of the pitch before counter-attacking on the other side of the pitch and you open up loads of spaces. And it's, it's interesting to see how Aaron Ramsey, who in 2013, when he scored something like eight goals in five games, and looked like one of the better centre midfielders in the Premier League before he got injured, has regressed behind these other midfield players in the top six. So, you know, I wouldn't say Ramsey's better than Daly Alley right now. I wouldn't say he's better than Kevin De Bruyne. I wouldn't say he's better than Paul Pogba. I wouldn't say he's better than uh, a guy like Salah or a guy like Mane or a guy like Coutinho. This is the thing. The things that used to make Wenger good in the league, he's now bettered by so many other players in the league. And, I, you know, I reckon if you gave some of those resources that Wenger has to some of the players, to some of the managers below Arsenal in the league, that they could probably get similar results. I have two questions, guys. Firstly, have hope. When are you going to send Fabian Delph his double-spaced Times New Roman 12-point font apology? <laughs> never, never. And the reason why I'll, I'll, I'll never do it is because he owes all his goodness to Guardiola. He knows deep down he's still a brick. Deep down he knows he's still a brick. <laughs> but what Guardiola has done with him is... It, it, nothing short of a miracle. Like what Guardiola has done to Sterling and Delph, they, he's, he's, he's turned bricks into gold. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. This is my kind of second question. Um, because, Carl, you elaborated about City's kind of choreographed movement and he just wants his players to do the simple things and just the kiss message, basically. Um, and then I, I thought about Bayern when you said that and about how Ancelotti just kind of let his players do whatever they wanted, the Bayern players, and they just weren't up to it because for three years they'd had Pep downloaded in them. And I was thinking, when Sterling goes to England, are we going to see the same Sterling? Or is, it, or is he going to be kind of, well, not maybe not go back. Is he going to revert to what we saw before? The Ancelotti thing made sense for Bayern because very often what you see with top-tier management is the manager you replace is a, is the opposite or a reaction to the manager you previously had. So if you have one manager who is uh, plays dour, defensive, 
strict conservative football, you tend to hire the next person to play free, expansive football, and then he opens up too much. You can see a couple of goals. You can go down the league table a bit. So then the next person you hire is a bit of a pragmatist. And then in turn, the next player you hire uh, gets you playing fast, youthful football again. So a good example of that was Everton being quite boring and stagnant under David Moyes. They hire Roberto Martinez. They go up to fifth in the league. Then Martinez gets really, really bad because he can't defend. And then after Martinez, they go get Ronald Koeman, who plays conservative, kind of slow, turgid football. So, you know, logic dictates Everton's next manager should be a manager who likes attacking free-flowing football and won't be and won't apply the handbrake, which is why it makes sense that Everton are interested in getting Ancelotti if they can. What? So Everton are trying to. Um, <laughs> he, he's on the shortlist, as is Thomas Tuchel. In regards to what happens to all these City players when they go to England, you would hope you would hope they they retain something interesting. I think a lot of it will be how uh, Gareth Southgate lines them up. So if you have Fabian Delft playing as a left-back and having Raheem Sterling in front of him on the left side, that could be potentially interesting. Or it could be potentially interesting to see Carl Walker line up behind Raheem Sterling and then Sterling knowing and talking to Carl Walker that I'm going to tuck inside. Could you overlap and we try and do similar moves we do to City and we're going to do it in a smaller, condensed area of the pitch. You think they could try to like teach their teammates or national club mates? Well, it's one of those things where if you play these blocks in the correct manner, they can interact in very interesting ways. So I'd be really fascinated to see what a Manchester City-led Carl Walker and Raheem Sterling can do on the right side of the pitch. And then on the left side of the pitch, you've got a Tottenham Hotspur-led Danny Rose going into a Tottenham Hotspur, Eric Dyer going into a Tottenham Hotspur, Dele Alli going into a Tottenham Hotspur, Harry Kane. So basically, so, so basically, can Pochettino and Guardiola's systems combine together in some way? And can I would think so. I would think so. If if Southgate has a bit announced to him, he could get that. He could get the blend right there. I think the issue there is how do you fit in the Liverpool players? Lallana can fit, I think, into any yeah. system. Really, Lallana can. Uh, Henderson I'd say, is your issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well spotted. I think Henderson being uh, Henderson as a def- as a defensive midfielder or your box to box pivot is not ideal for a club that wants to win the Premier League or wants to win uh, international tournament. You brought up Moyes. Um... <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, Tom Victor, oh. Um, former guest on <coughs> Talking Tactics. Uh, he has a question. Uh, hi, long-time listener, first-time caller. Name three managers who'd be worse than Moyes for West Ham without using the words Slavin Village. So Slavin Village was released or sacked, I should probably say, uh, from West Ham. I believe David Moyes has been lined up for this job. I, I don't think it's official yet, but within you know the next 48 hours or so. Uh, well, it's an international break. You never know how long it might take. But there are rumors... Been- that Moyes is looking to bring Stuart Pearce and Phil Neville into the coaching staff if he brings it in. Um, from what I understand from some of my journalist sources, um, West Ham want it done, but there is pushback from essentially some players, some of the older players at West Ham don't want David Moyes to be their manager because obviously you don't want David Moyes to be your manager. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> The kids, man. The kids. <laughs> That's not going to make the podcast, bro. <laughs> all right. How about... Uh, all right, sorry. Sorry. 
Moyes needs redemption. He, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, he does not. Listen to, me. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is his the last fifty-four games. David Moyes has managed in the Premier League. He has won ten. This is a man who it became a fossil to English football, to British football, to world football. Partway through taking over at Manchester United, this guy is terrible. Terrible. He pumped in eighty-one crosses in the game against Fulham, and they drew two-two. This is a this is a guy who ripped the spine out of a Manchester United side that was looking to rebuild after Sir Alex Ferguson. He absolutely ripped the spine out of Real Sociedad side that sold Asay and Mendy for a record amount of money to Real Madrid and were looking to stabilize themselves within La Liga. Uh, Real Sociedad are only now just recovering from David Moyes being there. This is a man who went to Sunderland. Within weeks of him joining at Sunderland and the transfer window closing, he said, I wouldn't have joined Sunderland if I realized how little money there was. He purposely picked players in his midfield because he said he needed more Britishness in the center of his team. He, th- he jokingly threatened to slap a woman in the face. Uh, he bought a number of ex-Manchester United players to Sunderland that were either nowhere near good, ha- were either has-beens or never was. And he got Sunderland relegated before stepping down. Sunderland are going to do a lead and sink through the league table. David Moyes is toxic. The only reason why David Moyes would be good for West Ham is if, for some reason, you want West Ham to suffer everything in football because they play in a taxpayers' stadium. David Moyes at West Ham would be full of banter for all the Twitter laughs, but it would be dreck. I hate him. I can't stand him. He's one of the worst non-racist, non-crooked people in football. Do not get him anywhere near the Premier League. Uh, if you want to talk about people like Sean Dyche, Phil Neville, and Paul Merson talk about why British managers can't get jobs, why young British managers can't get jobs. The reason they can't get jobs is because you've got terrible half-witted oafs like David Moyes taking all the jobs instead. Stay away from David Moyes. The three worst names of management have already managed West Ham. So they'd be Avram Grant, Glenn Roder, Alan Pardew... <laughs> Damn, I'm on Look, we know Tom, and I know Tom's a really funny man. There are not many worse candidates you can get than David Moyes. If you if you get fired and David Moyes replaces you, then you have to fight everyone. Slavon Bilic should take West Ham to court if David Moyes replaces him. <laughs> That's defamation of character. I'm taking you to court. If you're saying I'm so bad at my job, but David Moyes can replace me, no, I'm suing you. No, I, I think you're overreacting with this Moyes thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I've I've never had anybody be so insulted this this badly before. I mean, it's like the guy has has a, a family, man. Just give the guy a chance. No, <laughs> no. Look, the only chance is John Terry. Was, is the piece of Sunderland. Wasn't Sunderland his second chance? Associate Dead was his second chance. I don't know why they hired him. Sunderland is his third chance. You're going to give him four. Here's where we are right now. So David Moyes might take over at West Ham. Mr. Unsworth may take Mr. Unsworth or Sean Dyke may take over at Everton. And Tony Pulis looks like he's in trouble at West Brom as well. So the managerial merry-go-round is going is beginning to start. Up. I'm I'm. I'm beginning to be thinking about there being a managerial transfer window just so we can limit this sort of ridiculousness. What do you think? 
No. <laughs> I've, I've, I've thought about it before. I'm kind of, of of the idea that I don't even know if there should be a player transfer window. Whoa. What? No, no, no. I mean, okay, first of all, let's deal with the my managers. There shouldn't be, they, they, they should not be a manager transfer window. It should be how it is because the manager has so much control over a club. And if you have a situation where a manager is just permeating a very negative atmosphere around the club and you've got to wait like three months to remove him, in those three months, you could be relegated. Whereas for a player, I think it is better that you have transfer winners because if you just have it where, as Danny said, look, they can very much be transferred at, at, at any time. It makes it a lot harder for the weaker teams because now you have Chelsea, Liverpool, whatsoever, who can just re-up and get their get together another top player at any point, which will just increase that gap between themselves and the rest of, of, of the league. How about how about transfers at any time but with a cap? You you can only spend two hundred million in a season, let's say. That leaves a lot of loopholes for loan deals, I feel. In terms of what was going on before, I was only about ten or eleven when the transfer window came into what came in. So I think Luis Figo to Real Madrid was one of the last big pre-transfer window signings but I think the transfer window is great it allows you to look at the personnel you have and it's a very much when it's done it's done we, we've talked about how they're going to move the uh, transfer window so it shuts before the season starts which I think is a great thing for football I think very much when the season starts that's your lot that's your roster go off and do it but I think a managerial transfer window could be good especially for uh, longevity within managers it could promote a greater look at youth and bring through stuff uh, and it also makes it also you know it would encourage clubs to do things like scout your managers and making sure you don't end up being crystal palace and hiring frank de Boer and sacking him after only four games to replace him with roy hodgson Carl, can we get a rooney rule first oh yeah definitely yeah rooney rule first <laughs> if you want to change how managers are hired can we do that first <laughs> uh, so we, we have a, a few questions here let's let's knock these out from Theo Caesar Mosby, will Sunderland and Hull City get relegated two seasons in a row? It seems inevitable inevitable at this rate. Have hope so- for Hull, have no hope for Sunderland. Ooh, I like that. We should have that as the next gimmick. That should be your final. The last five minutes should be have hope for this and have no hope for this. <laughs> um, football God asks, can we finally admit Mourinho's finished? When will this fraud leave my club? I don't think it's a fraud. I think fraud is a strong word. I wouldn't say he's finished. Fraud don't win Champions League with Porto, okay? Trouble Inter. Trouble with Inter. That was a long time ago now. And your point is? If you think of football if you think of football in four year cycles, which I encourage you all to do, been a while since Jose I'm sorry, boys. Mr. Mourinho put together, well, no, tell a lie. You did get to three semifinals at Real Madrid, so I'm talking at my ass here. Never mind. Okay, okay, actually, what if Mourinho <laughs> wins the Champions League with United, though? That's not going to happen. Wait a minute, guys. Guys, we have a question on this topic. Um, Robert Landel asks, five English teams set to advance as group winners in the Champions League, although Chelsea's a bit questionable. What does that mean for the UEFA old guard? Hashtag Premier League, hashtag three lions. It's been a good group stage for English clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's 40 points uh, on Wednesday morning, and then Spurs won and Liverpool won. So mm-hmm. it's 46 points. And that's the highest total for points won by any one nation in the Champions League group stages right now. 
obviously you have to put an asterisk there because we've got five clubs in there rather than four. True. Uh, so the days of us worrying about the co coefficient are gone. It's two things. So one, this is the strongest set of managers we've had in the Champions League before. Any coincidence that a certain team from North London that wears red is missing? I was about to touch on that. I think, yeah, this is the strongest mm -hmm. set. More, more, more Arsenal bashing? Damn. I never <laughs> said that name. I don't What? Huh? <laughs> uh, this is the strongest set of managers, I think. Man, this is Manchester City's greatest ever manager. This is probably, you know, for all my bashing of Mr. Mourinho, he's probably top five Manchester United managers of all time. He's top three. You know what? It's Bubsy, Fergie. Jose. Possibly, just by default, just Mo by just just by the what sheer default. <laughs> just by the sheer, it just by like that says a lot more about Ferguson being there for twenty six years than anything else at Manchester United. Um, so he's top five, maybe top three. Uh, so that's Mr. Mourinho. I think Klopp is the best manager of Liverpool in the modern era. Well, the best post Premier League era, you can say. Yeah, yeah of the Premier League era, I think. Well, better than Benitez. No, he's not better than Benitez. No, 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 no. He's no, no, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Good point. He's, the, he's, he's top two. Uh, I think Pochettino is, I think it's, it's, it's getting to a point where Pochettino is probably going to, when Pochettino is done, he's going to be considered the best first manager of all time. Yeah. Um, and Chelsea? Yeah, I think Conte is the best non Mourinho manager. Nope. Ancelotti, no, Ancelotti was great, wasn't he? Uh, well, Chelsea's weird. So he's top Chelsea, three. Chelsea's weird because it's very apparent they don't. It doesn't really matter who the manager is when it comes to winning trophies. They seem we to don't win respect more. the manager. So there's that. Um, and also, if you look at the traditional Champions League, what we called was it something called someone called the the four pillars of the Champions League. So those are the four strongest sides in the Champions League in recent history. Yeah, you know, Bayern Munich had that weird Ancelotti spell and they're only really getting back into it now. Real Madrid are in abject form right now because BBC aren't firing. Uh, Barcelona drew against Olympia Lycos last week. Uh, Suarez looks god-awful. Again, Suarez is another player who is playing like he's had a massive knee injury, even though he hasn't. Atletico Madrid have failed to beat Carabag <laughs> twice now. Uh, <laughs> ten, men, 10 men Carabag twice now, so they're in a lot of trouble. Shout-outs. Well, was was are Atletico in those top four, rather rather than Juventus? I think in the last, I think in the last four years, you can say Atletico are one of the key heavy. Juventus have been into well. I, I was going to say Juventus have been in two finals, but so have Madrid. So, Madrid yeah, and and yeah, if you so if you want to add Juventus to that, Juventus on you know Juventus labored to a two-one victory over Benevento on Sunday. Uh, Benevento, a side that have lost. 11, 11 games in Serie A and only scored <laughs> and up until that Juve game and only scored four goals like the traditional powers of this era of Champions League football are all a bit on the decline and now you've got City Napoli and PSG on their way up mm. so we shall see uh speaking of kind of traditional powers are people overreacting to Real Madrid's struggles they're missing Bale Kovacic Varane Carvajal and Navas. It's a bit of both. I think is I don't think overreaction is, is the right word. I think it's a case of there are key players missing, but at the end of the, the, the day, if you have the so-called best player in the world chosen by FIFA in your team. Why did I ask um, you this? And you have 
Modric, you still have Marcelo, you still have so forth, you should still be able to beat teams like Real Betis. You still should be able to beat a team like Tottenham. So it shows you that Danny Carvalho is a lot more important. Because without Danny Carvalho, as we can see, Cristina can score. So I still don't understand why you call him Cristina. Being disrespectful to him. So. <laughs> well, at least you admit it, you know. Fair play. Gawain asks, my test for squad depth is the quality of an 11 a team can field if they're missing their preferred starting 11. Given that test, how would you rank the top six by depth? First of all, who doesn't rate squad depth like that? Uh, and second of all, right. So I think if you weigh up on who has the best first 11, I think Spurs have top two because we've seen pound for pound Spurs can go head to head with anyone if it's just everyone's fit. Spurs have a better 11 than City. Well, they beat him last season, didn't they? So I think Spurs City, Spurs City. How do you put this? City's players, just quality for quality. City are better. But as far as like, if, if you're looking at an 11 as like a team concept, Spurs will have the best one. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, what? Let's, let's, let's do this. So you take out the best center back, you take out the best defender, the best midfielder, and the best striker from the team. What happens? So if you look at Manchester City, you take out their best defender. Which is Vincent Company. They seem yeah. to be they seem to be doing all right. You take out their best midfielder, which is David Silva, then they've still got Kevin De Bruyne and Gundogan and Yaya Torre. So they're gonna be fine. And Fernandinho, thank you very much. Fernandinho, by the way, looks fantastic. He Amazing. doesn't look like he doesn't look like he's 32 at all. He's playing some great football right now. He's, he, and he, if you, you know what, out, he's he's not getting the Kante treatment from last season. You know how people were very much on this whole N'Golo Kante is the most important this, the most important that, which is true. Fernandinho's not getting that praise at City, but I realize I'm straying from the topic. So go ahead. Uh, and if you take out City's best striker, which is now Sergio Aguero, because he's their record striker, goal scorer of all time, they've still got Gabriel Jesus. So, so City are number one. I'd say I think Arsenal are probably the next best. Arsenal have a lot of squad depth, if only because they have uh, a large collection of mediocre players. Uh, I don't know. So I don't know if, if if anything, if anything, if you take out Koscielny, they have who's their next best defender? Mustafi. If you take out who's their best midfielder? If you, if you take out Ozil, you'll gain a player. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I mean, if you're looking at squad depth, what it reveals is, one, how many tools Manchester City have to hurt you right now. Two, just how many, just how important Eric Dyer is to Tom Hotspur's system because he seamlessly slots in both in defence and midfield for Tom Hotspur. And that's working really well. Uh, another thing you should point out is, oh my God, Liverpool need more centre midfield options because they are desperate. Like if Coutinho... This is why they didn't sell Coutinho, because Coutinho is so important to Liverpool's attack, both in the final third and the middle third. Didn't they buy one for like 40 million? What was his name? He got his first league start like this? this week. He'd been free in summer if they'd waited. Hmm. Uh, I think in, in terms of squad depth, it's a case of Manchester City. I also would like to say point out that Chelsea's squad depth isn't great, but <laughs> it is... It shows he's got that it isn't great, but it's a testament to what Antonio Conte can do. If you see all the complaints that Mourinho gives about how he doesn't get the players he wants and how the team isn't quite right and how certain mem members of Manchester United need to, to make it easier for him to do his job. If you compare that to what Antonio Conte is doing, which is just... Conte complains just as much as Mr. Mourinho, 
about the lack of funds and the lack of resources. But when you see how Conte just gets on with it, it's uh, quite remarkable. Can, can we talk about that quickly? Because we have two questions kind of on that topic. Um, Packed Mouse asks, also, is Emanolo leaving Chelsea a good idea in the long term? And does that give Conte more or less time? And Young Nig asks, oh. hope hope you guys talk about Emanolo's strange decision to quit Chelsea. So, uh, Michael Emanolo, or have hope has instructed me to say Emanolo. Um, <laughs> former Super Eagle, he played in the 94 World Cup, so I think he deserves respect for that. Oh, um, I didn't know he was a former footballer. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he wore the, the green, white, and green. Um, yep. he, he left Chelsea. Um, he resigned. If, if you ask most Chelsea fans, are, are you happy Emanuelo left? They'd say yes. But I don't think they can tell you why they'd be happy that he's gone. It's just he's, a, he's in the board. He has, he's a, 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 a figurehead, and we want change, so we just want him gone. But if you ask them what he did to deserve them wanting him gone, I don't think many could tell you. Because he's responsible for signing Courtois. He's responsible for signing Aspilicueta. Whoa, 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 whoa. He took credit. I think the if you look at... Don't give of, me Vias Boas and him. No, no, not Vias Boas. It's uh, Piet de Vissa, who is the head scout of Chelsea. The who, guy who wrote the book that said he did everything? He's, he scouted all these players? Come on. One guy doesn't do all that. BS man, give give my guy some credits, Jerry. Oh no no, he's in charge of the scouting network as the technical director. So if a scout does something and finds that player, Manolo takes credit. So I yes, you're you're correct in that point. He didn't go out himself yeah. and be like, I want that guy, but he's the guy who says yes. So yeah, he's the guy who okay's it. Uh, if you ask if you ask uh, the Chelsea fans, I know as to why they dislike him. I think a lot of that emanates from the two times Mourinho left. So the first time he left, uh, Emenenko was... Emenenko? I think five minutes. <laughs> Emenenko? <laughs> I was like, who's Russian? <laughs> I was thinking of the... Uh, I, I got the name wrong and I've mentioned the um, former MMA fighter. I think the first time Mourinho left, that was when... Uh, Just call him Michael. That was the first time Michael was in the spotlight because he was uh, said to have been... It was said to have been he, him failing his job is what made Mourinho leave in the first place. I think there was a point in time where he was potentially tipped to take over at Chelsea, but they went for Avram Grant instead. And also the second time Mourinho was sacked, obviously Michael gave that very pointed interview on Sky Sports News, citing a certain individual within Chelsea's hierarchy. Oh no, this was not for Sky Sports, this was for Chelsea TV. He talked about the irreconcilable differences between a certain individual and Chelsea Football Club. And this in this interview lasted maybe half an hour, and he didn't ever mention Mourinho's name once, and basically said, you know, this was before we realized just quite the depth of Mourinho's scumbaggery at the club. Um, <laughs> what happened? And I think that I think you know, regardless of you know, of what Conte's done and and how he sort of washed the nasty taste of that second of that third Jose season out of their mouths, I think there has been a lot of distrust from Chelsea fans because of how Mourinho threw him on the bus when he left the club both on both occasions. Do you know what I think is happening, though? In 2013, when Mourinho was coming back, Emanolo offered his resignation because he thought, or at least um, it was suggested, that if Emanolo's there, Mourinho won't come. So he was like, I will resign 
That way, Abramovich can get Mourinho back from Real Madrid. Abramovich didn't take his resignation. Mourinho came anyway. What I think is going on is I think Emmanuel is offering his resignation. Abramovich accepted it because Conte is known to leave or just bounce if he's not getting his way, right? So I actually think Emmanuel is falling on a sword in a way because there's a tug of war going on at the club between Antonio Conte and Marina Granaschia, I believe is how you pronounce her name, who is Roman Abramovich's right-hand woman who controls, because Abramovich can't be at the club every day. So she's the person who sets the budget, who does all the negotiations. She's really the, the woman with the power. And there's a balance or a tug of war going on between her and the first team head coach, who I think wants more uh, transfer power. So I think What's going on is Amanalo is taking one for the team, in essence. And he's already linked with Monaco, which could be a step up if you consider there's no tax something there, whatever it is. So, he, so he's going to cake. So I, I think that's what's going on. Or it was just the fact of maybe Conte and him didn't get along to begin with. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up now. Yeah, so what's next? Um, those are all our questions. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Somebody DM'd us the other day. I forgot who it was, but maybe we could read this out now. I forgot last week. Robin Puttipat podcast question. Is wage budget the best metric for assessing where a club should finish in the league as opposed to transfers, spend, squad depth, etc.? I believe it is. If this is your opinion, then are Spurs the best team in the league? I'm a United follower, as Carl knows, so there's no bias to the stop process. Yeah, I've, I've talked before about how the wage budget is a really good metric of where you finish. Uh, and Spurs have a smaller wage budget than that of Everton right now. And they're second, third best team in the league. Fantasy football update. Uh, <laughs> I've, been trying, oh, I've, been trying not, I've been trying not to do this. So people might forget, and I could move up the table, but it's international break, so you might as well. I'm going to just read through the top five. I'm not going to tell you where I am because uh, it starts with a seven. Um, <laughs> uh, in first place, the cool kids, Moses Gates, uh, with 637 points. Um, Joel Lewin, kind of looks Welshy. I don't know. Insigne and the Brain. Oh, nice. Good night. Uh-huh. 631 points. Josh Heap, Kings in the North, 624. In fourth place, Priya Ramesh, former guest on this podcast. Oh, hey, Priya. Moy Bien, 619 points. Oh, man. And Robin Puttipat, Victorious Secret, um, also 619 points. So that's our top five. I'm so Um, proud of this. I know. Where are you, Carl? Where are you? I'm (laughs) I'm below you. Uh, Carl, you're 70. I'm 78. Oh, I'm winning. I'm beating you. Hooray. Only by 13 points. Like, this can change I'll, quickly. I'll take it. That's Mo Salah. <laughs> Mo Salah oh, yeah. touch. Yeah, so that's fantasy football. I'll re- remember to update your squads. Um, you have a couple weeks to do that, I guess. So, yeah, Heroes and Villains of the Week. Who you guys got, man? We'll start with Have Hope. You got anybody? Can't say. Okay. For reminding people that he is one of the best midfielders out there, and it was a disgrace that Iniesta, that old man, was put ahead of him in the FIFA 11. And my villain is Peter Bosch. Basically, for re- re- regressing Dortmund, Dortmund have re- regressed on the <laughs> Bosch. 
and their tactics against Baninik were just com were, were, were a complete shambles. And they are a complete shambles. Tactically, they're just the most naive, most stone-aged team that there are out there. Very, very unfortunate as Aubameyang has to put up with this crap. They leave so much space in the back when their press falls down. It's really, really awkward. Um, but yeah, good choices, Hope. Uh, my hero of the week is going to be uh, Didier Deschamps for not picking Kante for the national team. <laughs> so I think it's good that he's going to get two weeks off. My villain, though. Hmm. I'm going to go Ander Herrera. I, I hate how he fouls and he holds his hands up every time like he didn't do anything bad. But we all know he did something bad. Just a baby-faced assassin. It's on my nerves. So Ander Herrera is my villain. Like, how many times can you foul someone in a game? Yeah. Nine, ten? It's ridiculous. So he's my villain. I was just sick of watching him after a while. I don't know why you like him, Carl, but go ahead. I like him because he, he's founding your players, not mine, <laughs> basically. Mm. Hero of the week, Andrea Pirlo. He oh. has finally retired from football. Uh, so he's hung up his boots after another game for New York FC. Um, and we can wax lyrical about Pirlo, but he truly was a magnificent player and just a great ambassador for the game. Tying this into recommended reads right now. Uh, Simon Lloyd, Cy Lloyd, uh, a writer for Joe.co.uk, wrote an article about how three touches the ball deep into extra time in the 2006 World Cup against Germany allowed mm. Perlo to unlock the German defence and get Italy past that semi-final. Have Hope referenced Anatomy of a Goal? Didn't you do one on that? Yeah. On the, on, on the, on the Pirlo to Grosso? Yeah, but I, I think YouTube took it down for some reason, I think. Copyright thanks, 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 Google. Uh, this is the podcast where I'm a big fan of uh, Football Lifestyle Magazine Mundial. They have a fantastic interview with Perlo. Um, they flew out one of their journalists to New York to interview Perlo. Um, and in the photographs, Perlo's wearing amazing red wine trousers and a fantastic grey cardigan. And I remember asking the, the feature at Mundial, where can I buy that clothes? What clothes did you dress him in? And he said, no, those are Perlo's real clothes. He, he just dresses that good in real life. It's a shame that English football only began to appreciate him in 2012 after he began to grow a beard and lost his pace. Because if you look <laughs> at how good he used to play in like 2005, 2006, 2007, when he had a bit of pace and was a box-to-box midfielder, he was he, he generational talent. Um, and my villain of the week is, as always, have hope. <laughs> I'm always just quickly speaking on that. First of all, I think it's quite harsh. I've been the villain for the second episode in a row. No. The real villain of the week is David Moyes because for the terrible football he's played, he shouldn't even be linked to these jobs. He's not only is he being linked to the West Ham job, he's being linked to the Everton job. Imagine being that so, that bad at your job, at management, and being linked to two Premier League jobs. It's a barn. The LMA is a disgrace. He can put Sir Alex Ferguson on his resume. I can't do a Scottish accent. Ferguson, Ferguson, these horses. Go, 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 go. Ferguson, you I. <laughs> what did you say? You just made some noises. Um, wait, wait, what's it called? Um, that's that's exactly what Scottish sounds like to me. It sounds like muddled English accent. No, no, seriously. Have you guys read Pelo's book? I think therefore I am. No, 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 I think therefore I play. I think therefore I play. Is that the one where he was like before the the World Cup? I was just on playing PlayStation. Yep. The next yeah, day, yeah, no, no, no. Trust me, Dan. You have to read it. It's a great book. Yeah, but like he also comments on them. What was it called? The Liverpool game and how he felt. Like, basically, I don't want to ruin it for you, but there's so many things he says, funny things and insightful things that it's worth reading. It's a really good book. Before we get out of here, one of my biggest regrets is Ancelotti tried to sign him 
in 2010 or, or maybe the 2009 transfer window from Milan. And the midfield would have been some combination of Essien, Lampard, Balak, and Pirlo. <laughs> that would have been like the greatest midfield of all time. But it didn't happen. But, you know, we had the points record and all that kind of stuff. Goals record anyway. I'm sorry. I got stretched. All right. So is there anything else that we got to get through? Or can we can we dip? You look at the league table. Brighton and Huddersfield are in the top half. That's weird, isn't it? Just, I don't know. I'm very impressed with all Brighton and Huddersfield are doing. West Ham mm-hmm. should be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yo. Have hope. Neymar update. Have you been watching PSG? Like, what's going on? No, so we know, I've not been watching it that much. But oh, okay. all, I, all I can say is that PSG have scored the most goals in Europe. And they only won goal ahead of Manchester City. I will not know how good this team are until they face a real team in the Champions League. That's when we'll know the Neymar products. And it'll be very rude if Neymar wins the Champions League with PSG in his first season. That'll be very disrespectful. It's not going to happen. Do you remember after 6-1 where you put PSG in the Brick Academy and there was like, yeah. there's nothing that they can ever do to get out? No, 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 no. No, no basically, they're, they're in a special place in the Brick Academy, like a special place where you don't really see them. But <laughs> if... The only way they can fully get out of that special place, like that song in the Champions League, is they have to win the Champions League. Yeah, that's fair. Like, only... So disgraceful that they there have are to... so many special places in your website. I don't understand. Like JJ, a coach is a special horseman, but we yeah, can't he's, see he's, it. No, he is hundred percent. He is. 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 <laughs> anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway. Why uh, is Ronaldinho is... in a special place when Ronaldinho won the World Cup? Look, a horseman. It's look. Okay, I will say this for one last time. Why do you have more than four horsemen? That's not no, how it works. Before we leave, I don't care about the about the real four. These are the real horsemen. There are five horsemen. So, to be a horseman, the minimum requirement is a World Cup medal. Beyond that, is Daniel how did you as an individual? Hey, this is a talking tactics podcast. We do it every Tuesday. How did you as an individual revolutionize and completely redefine the game? Messi and Cristiano should not be mentioned in the same sentence as these five horsemen. It is. A disgrace and an embarrassment. Robin is in a special place as well. (laughs) (laughs) Let me mute you, bro. Hold on. Let's finish this. Yes. Uh, This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. As Carl said, we do this every Tuesday. Follow us on SoundCloud. Follow us on uh, or subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app, I should say. We're anywhere where you listen to podcasts, Stitcher, Google, Apple, all those other podcast apps on your phone, I'm sure. I I was about to skip the important stuff. Follow us individually. I'm at Daniel to look. Carl, where can the people find you? Anchorman616. Halfo, where can the people find you? I'm at Halfo Pods without a number after my name. Cool. Uh, this is Talking Tactics. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. But always football. Indeed. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Stay black. 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 Podcast Network.